Masechet Sukkah, Daf Gimel. Yesterday, we were talking about the law of the tallest Sukkah possible, and we saw that would be 20 Amot. Um, but and according to at least one opinion, it depends on the ratio of the width. So only if it's a, the smallest width, then it would be 20 Amot. And so we, we brought in the Sukkah of, of Queen Helena, and we said, well, maybe she had a very a tall, she did have a very tall sukkah, uh, but then there was a problem, but maybe it was probably because she made it into different cubes uh, like this. And we said, wait, that's not a nice sukkah. So maybe it was something more like this one where you have a big section, but you also have a small section. And I like how they drew it here. So the small section is still modest and, uh, and uh, closed off but you could uh, be, can still be connected with the rest of it. So uh, the visitors, the rabbis and others would come and sit in the big section and she would be in the small one. And then we uh, ended off saying maybe that her children were with her in the, in the small one. And that would be, um, there, that would be there for a proof uh, for the biuda. And uh, the Rabbanan could say, no, those, that, that the, uh, the students were in the big one. Okay, so we really completed that topic of the tallest sukkah. But now we mentioned the width. We're going to focus today on the size of the smallest sukkah width-wise. Uh, we already saw basically two options, uh, either four amot by four amot. That makes a lot of sense because that's a standard amount for a room, a size of a room, like for mezuzah. And we're gonna see application for lots of things that have to be defined as a house or a room. Uh, the other option is just by usage uh, that has to be able to fit most of your body and your table. Uh, so those were the two options. And that's what we're going to start off with. Amadav Shemuel So he says, a sukkah can be less than four by four amot, which would be six by six feet. It can even just hold mo- your, your head, most of your body, and your uh, table, which we estimate to be uh, seven tefachim by seven tefachim, which is much smaller. Here's a picture. We saw a picture yesterday of someone like lying down, but it could be sitting up also, a nice small. Sometimes when you're traveling on sukkot, you see people have a pop-up sukkah, right? And it's uh, about that size. Okay, so that's the smallest. Says, who, which, who are you following halacha like? Like Bet Shammai? And he says, yeah, like who else? In other words, so what? So I'm following Bet Shammai. Yes, indeed. Sometimes we follow Bet Shammai. Now they're referring actually to a Mishnah in the second pedic of Masechet Sukkah, Mishnah um, Zayin. It happens to be quoted just in a few lines. So let me read it and then we'll go back. Someone who had his head and most of his body in the sukkah, but his uh, table was in the house, not in the sukkah with him. So he's kind of, he's, uh, he's getting food and uh, bringing it in and eating it, but he's, he's grabbing from the table that's outside of the sukkah. Is that permitted or not? Bet Shammai poselim or Bet Yilel Marshidin. Bet Shammai says, no good. He has to have his table inside the sukkah with him. But Bet Yilel says, it's fine. He can have the table outside. Here's a picture of what we're talking about. Um, well, uh, so it's not clear. Let's, let's imagine this picture and the, the, soup, the uh, table was outside. Would that be okay? Um, so Bet Shammai says, no, it has to be inside with him. So right now we're understanding this Mishnah to mean that they are arguing about the minimum size sukkah. That Bet Hillel is even more mekel. He would allow a really tiny sukkah that fit just your body 
and not even the table, right? Just you know, remove a couple of these panels. That's really small. Bet Shemai says, no, you have to have room for your table in there. That would be the minimum size. So now getting back to the Gemara we just read, Shemuel Bar who says that it has to have your table too, that is like Bet Shemai. And he defends himself and says, yes, indeed. So what? So sometimes we follow Bet Shemai. Okay, another version of that conversation, it's almost exactly the same. It says, he, he tells again, more innocently, um, who told you that, right? Who are you following? I know what your question is getting after. Am I following Bet Shemai? Yes, I am. And don't move, don't budge from it, right? Don't, uh, don't follow Bet Hillel in this case. There's a few cases where we do follow Bet Shemai. And so this is one of them. Okay, good. So that was the halacha. Now we're going to challenge it. Matkifla Rav Nachman how do you know that this machloket between Betil and Betshamai in the Mishnah that we just read is talking about the minimum size sukkah? Dilma besukkah gedola pelige uchegon diyatev apuma dimtulta b'shulchano betoch habayit. The Betshamai sabre gazrenan shema yimashecha chal shulchano u Betil sabre lo gazrenan. Maybe they're talking about not the size of the sukkah but the usage of it. That accord, it's actually talking about a big sukkah. So it's really like this, uh, this picture, right? It could be a giant sukkah. And the, the question is, um, are you allowed to have the table outside the sukkah? Bet Shemai says, no good. You know why? Because when your food is outside, you're going to end up inching up, inching up, and you're going to end up outside the sukkah too, right? People are drawn after the table. Whereas Betilal says, no, people will, you'll be careful and you'll make sure that you, you, you take the food and you bring it into the sukkah with your hand and eat it in the sukkah. So it's fine. So there, actually this has nothing to do with the size of the sukkah, um, but rather with the usage of the sukkah, this entire Mishnah. And therefore, the whole Mishnah is not relevant at all for the size of it. Um, so that's his challenge. And not only does he have a theoretical challenge, he's going to even back it up. And this is precise in the language of the Mishnah. That's the language of the Mishnah. The Mishnah talks about someone who used the sukkah in such a way that he was inside and the, and, and the table was outside. Now, if we're talking about the size of the sukkah, then it should have used different language. That if you had a sukkah that was mechazeket, that held the size to uh, enough to uh, encompass himself and his table, or does not was not big enough to to hold uh, to hold it. We're going to see a couple of but I taught that use that exact language when you want to talk about the size of the sukkah. This this doesn't talk about size of sukkah. It sounds like it's talking about how you use it. Mishayadosho. So therefore, um, you know, what this conversation you just had before, oh, you're following Bet Shammai? No, we're not following Bet Shammai. Bet Shammai did not have any, anything to say about the size of a sukkah, only about the usage. Okay, so that's a serious challenge. Uh, we're going to defend it. Or is that true that Bet Hila and Bet Shammai do not disagree about the size of a sukkah? It's true. Maybe that Mishnah, maybe, maybe not. But here's another source. A two, it's two, but I taught that we're going to read together. You see, this is mechazeket, something that holds himself and his body and his table. That is good, according to Tanakama, whoever that is. 
רבי אומר, עד שיהיה בא ארבע אמות על ארבע אמות. רבי, רבי יהודה הנשיא, he says four by four, okay, so that's, that's בלייתא נאמבר one. בלייתא נאמבר two is similar, ותניה אידך, רבי אומר, כל סוכה שאין בה ארבע אמות על ארבע אמות פסולה. If it has less than four by four, it's no good, that's the opinion of רבי. That's the same, right? This, this, the second בלייתא quotes רבי first. בנן חכמים אומרים אפילו אינה מחזקת אלא ראשו אלא ראשו ורובו כשרה ואילו שולחנו עולה קטן. In the second בריתה, the opinion of the חכמים is that it only has to hold your head and your body and not your table. So we have בריתה number one and בריתה number two agree about רבי, רבי says four אמות by four אמות, but they disagree about חכמים according to בריתה number one, חכמים require that has to be big enough to fit your table. And according to the second Baraita, the Chachamim say, it does not have to be big enough to hold your table, even smaller than that. Okay, and then we said, Kashana Hadadeh. How can we reconcile Baraita number one and Baraita number two? Okay, the way we reconcile is to say that the first one, the first Baraita that requires a table, that's Bet Shammai. The second Beraita that does not require a table, that is Betilel. And here it's not about usage, it's clearly about Mehazeket, about the size of it. So now we're back to uh, where we started, that Betilel and Betshamai do in fact disagree regarding the size. Um, and not only that, we have another proof from the Mishnah. Amar Morzutra Matnitin Name Daika Medekatane Betshamai Poslin Betilel Machshirin. Um, Bet, Bet Shammai, our, the, the Mishnah that we're recording from chapter two, it says, Bet Shammai say it, it is invalid. It is invalid. And Bet Tilel says it is valid, meaning the sukkah. If it's just talking about usage, you want to say the sukkah is invalid. It's a be- big, beautiful sukkah, but if you're, you're using it in the wrong way because your table is outside. If you, so then Bet Shammai should say, if your table is outside, you did not fulfill your obligation. You wouldn't say the sukkah is invalid, right? If at the same time, there's someone else inside. It's the usage. It's the usage. It's the building. Right, yeah. right. So actually, so, right, so now, so it's amazing. Every time we look at the Mishnah, we see another aspect of it. Um, so the Mishnah is really quite confusing. The truth is, there seems to be a contradiction within the Mishnah because the beginning of the Mishnah says, which sounds like a usage thing, right? If, you're, if you are inside and, and your sukkah is outside, or, uh, then uh, you know, what's the law? But the end of the Braita says, invalid, invalid, which like, seems like it's talking about the, um, the, the validity of the sukkah itself and therefore the size. So we're really confused now, which one is it? Um, what about the beginning that says so we don't know what to do because the end of it sounds like it's talking about the size of the sukkah the beginning of the Mishnah talks that sounds like it's talking about the usage of the sukkah so we answer and we in a way that makes everybody happy the placement of the table right that's, that's the, the usage possible. exactly um, so the truth is disagree about both of the both uh, topics uh, they disagree about the minimum size of a sukkah, and they disagree about the usage of a big sukkah, whether the table has to be on the inside or the outside. And you should read the Mishnah as if it includes the following words. I don't think they're necessarily saying that there's a mistake in the Mishnah, but um, rather it's explanatory. 
מי שהיה לו שווי לבוא בסוכה, בשולחנו בתוך הבית. בית שמאי אומרים לא יעשה, ובית הלל אומרים יעשה. אוקיי, so this one is about usage. If you have a nice big סוכה, but you're, you're, and you are in the סוכה, but your table is in the house, בית שמאי says, you fulfilled your, you did not fulfill your obligation, because you're going to end up, you know, push, inching up, and בית הלל says, you fulfilled your obligation. That's about usage. And furthermore, ושאינה מחזקת אלא כדי לשוב רובו בלבד, בית שמאי פוסילין ובית הלל מרשילין. And furthermore, regarding the size, if it's not big enough to hold you and your body, and uh, if it's only big enough to hold you and your body, and not your table, too, that's small, בית שמאי says it is invalid, that סוכה is invalid, and בית הלל says it is valid. So they're actually arguing on both, which, which makes sense because um, they're related to each other, right? Mm-hmm. According to בית שמאי, He could never say uh, the smallest sukkah is, is okay if without, a, without a table in it because he requires a table to be in it. So the smallest sukkah is for sure going to need you and the table in it. So um, since, in other words, kind of because he says, even in a big sukkah, you need your table there, therefore the smallest sukkah would require your table. Whereas Betilel, who says that you don't require the table in it, even in a big sukkah, so he can say, I can manage with a tiny sukkah that doesn't have your table because it doesn't require it. So really they go hand in hand and uh, maybe the original Mishnah one, you know, meant uh, the smallest size, but because as a consequence of that, right, or the other way around, uh, they go hand in hand. That's why there are but I taught and phrases that sound both this way and that way. Okay, good. So now we know that in fact, there is a machloket between Betel and Betshabai about the smallest size. And interestingly, we do follow Bet, Bet um, Shamai in this case. Bet Hillel says even smaller, right? But um, Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai both disagree with Rabbi, Rabbi Udanasi. Well, Rabbi Udanasi is later. He disagrees with them. And Rabbi, remember, says four by four, four amot by four amot. Okay, now we're going to see a very interesting baraita that lists all the halachot throughout the Torah that require something to be a room or a house. And we're going to ask, who is the author? Man tana leha de tanu rabanan. Who is the author of the following baraita? Here it goes. Ba'it she'en bo arba amot al arba amot patur min ha-mezuzah. If you have a house or a room that is less than four by four amot, you do not have to put a mezuzah there. That's halakha l'maseh nowadays. If you have like a big walk-in closet, you have to put a mezuzah if it's more than six by six. But a small closet, you don't have to. Why? Because you have to put a mezuzah on your house. Something, only something has to find as a house, which is at least a room, a livable room. And the minimum size of that is four by four amot. You see already where, you get, where we're getting with this, that the, the basic definition of a room is four by four. So this makes sense according to the B, who says the sukkah also has to be four by four. Right? A sukkah is supposed to something that you live in, right? You're supposed to live there. Yeah, even if it's a temporary for seven days, you're still living there. So, uh, okay. But anyway, we're going to see a whole bunch of different halachot. Umina ma'akeh, putting a fence around a roof. If you have a house that is defined as four by four, you have to put a, a fence around on the roof. But if it's smaller than that, just a, a small tower or something, um, then it's not made for living in or for walking on there. So then you are not required to put a fence around that roof. Uh, sarat, 
if there's uh, some mold, leprosy on a on a on a on a house on a on a wall in the house. So if it's a regular house that's at least four by four, then you have to bring the kohen. He examines it, right? They quarantine. They see if it gets bigger, right? Eventually, they have to take out part of the wall. If that doesn't work, they demolish the house and everything inside. If you leave it inside, becomes tameh. That's a whole law of. And uh, all that does not apply if it's smaller than four by four, because it's, it's not a house, right? So you don't have to go through the whole process. Furthermore, it is not a, called a final sale with if it's in a walled city. So remember the halacha. This is end of Aikra, that um, if a, there's a house in a walled city and you you're, you're down and out and you sell it. So you have a right to buy it back within one year. After one year, the sale is final. It does not go back in your veil. This is a contrast to farmland, right? Far, uh, uh, farmland, um, you have a right to buy it back. Uh, the, the seller has a right to buy it back anytime, even after a year, and it goes back in the yovel. So the difference between a house and a farm. So what about if you have a tiny little house that's less than four by four? That is considered like land. It's not considered a house. Uh, because it's not it's not it's not livable, right? It's just uh, a, a, you know a little structure that's actually on land, so uh, it doesn't have the law of a house for that reason. Furthermore, if someone builds a new house and suddenly there's a war and he's called up to the draft to go to war, he comes and says, oh, "Listen, I finished the new house and I never got a chance to consecrate my house to do a chinuch and live there." So there, then he goes home, right? Because the Torah recognizes some great, these great milestones in a person's life. However, if the house that he built is, is tiny, less than four by four amot, that's not considered a house. He can't say, you know, I finished my uh, tree house and, um, you know, I have to go home for war. No, no, that's not considered a house. Um, now, if you have a little hut, a little tiny little house or room like this, less than four by four, in a courtyard. Now, the law of a courtyard for carrying on Shabbat is if you want to carry within the courtyard, every single resident of the courtyard has to contribute to the joint meal. Okay, this is hard to do in a city, right? Because nowadays we have a huge area. So what we do is, uh, is we have two people and uh, let's say I'll take a box of matzah and I say, I'm giving this to you on behalf of everyone else. Even if they don't even know about it, we assume that they benefit from it. So we apply this today, even though there's people protesting with signs and saying, I don't want to contribute. We still, no, no, still benefits them. So that's how, that's how we get around it. But originally, when you're talking about just a little neighborhood and you know you have uh, 10 people that live uh, have houses in this courtyard, everybody has to contribute if they have a house, right? And they uh, uh, that they reside in. However, if you live in a little hut that's less than four by four, you do not have to uh, contribute to the Eruv. The law is if one person doesn't contribute to the Eruv, the whole thing is no good. Um, but this person, since he doesn't actually have a home, it's less than four by four, they can carry there even if he doesn't contribute. He doesn't have to contribute. It's not considered a home. Okay, that's en me'arvinbo. Mishtatifinbo is applying the same concept to a shituf mevo'ot. If you have many courtyards, all the courtyard, and they all want to carry from one, within, from one courtyard to the other and through the alleyway that joins them, then they have to take food and put it in one of the courtyards. Now, a courtyard only has to contribute if it has at least one residence in it. 
So if you have a courtyard that where the only residence is this, is this guy's little tent, he does not have to contribute and it does not uh, ruin the shituf mevaot for everyone else. So they're basically the same concept, right? A little house is not considered um, important for the laws of eruv or shituf mevaot. And lastly here, and then manichin bo'eruv, and we do not put the food in that house. Um, if you have many uh, houses in a courtyard, it's not a house, it goes along with the same, right, same concept. That when you have uh, many houses in a courtyard, you share the food and you put it in one of the houses. Um, so you cannot put it in, the, in this little house because it's not a house, exactly. What it what's doesn't say here is that for shituf mevo'ot, it doesn't say that you can't put the joint meal in this hut. You, we're going to see that you can put it in it. Why? Because when you join in courtyards, you have to put the meal in one of the courtyards. You can even be out in the open. It doesn't have to be in a house because you're not joining homes, you're joining courtyards. And so since this thing is not even a house, you could put it in a house, but you don't have to. This thing is actually just considered like land. So it's fine. You can put it in there and it won't, uh, it won't attract. Okay. And uh, almost finished the list of this long baraita. Ben osin oto ibur ben shete ayarot. If you have um, a city, you're allowed to carry outside the city 2,000 amot. What do you call the end edge of the city? Well, you're allowed to add a buffer around the city, uh, which is 70 and two thirds amot. Uh, how do you get that? It's the square root of 5,000, I think, right? Um, and so let's say you have two cities that are near each other. If, if the cities are close to each other, um, a 141 and a third amot or less, so then their buffers uh, join up and you can carry from one city to the next. But if it's 141 and a third or bigger, then they're two separate cities, right? Their buffer zones do not meet each other. However, there's an exception. If there is a home in the middle of, the, of them, then that home can serve to bridge between the two cities. Uh, it's like, you know, if your Wi-Fi is not so good, you have a, an ex extender, right? A bridge that picks up on the signal and then relays it over. So that house in the middle can be a relay and connect the two cities. That only works if it's an actual house. That's at least four by four, less than four by four. No, that's, that's not a house, right? That's nothing. It's just a tiny tent. Okay. And finally, if you have a house, a room, that's less than four by four amot, then it cannot be split between people who share it, right? Let's say you joined in and you bought this little tree house together that's less than four by four, uh, two brothers who inherited it or two partners that bought it together. And generally, if you're in a partnership, either, either partner is allowed to say, listen, I want to divide, right? And then, okay, you have to you know, figure out how to divide it. You sell it, you split the money, you do whatever you need to do. However, that applies to a regular house. But if it's less than four by four, there's no way to divide it. It's too small to divide. And so the other party can say, sorry, we can't divide it. And so it will not. They do not divide it. It stays as shared property because there's no point of using it if it's any smaller than that. Okay, that, the whole thing, that is the whole baraita. What you see here is that for all of, it doesn't mention sukkah, but it does say that for all of these various laws, that require residence or a home, uh, it has to be four by four. So whose opinion is all this? It seems that the B would be the author who says sukkah is also four by four and not Rabbanan. Rabbanan say less than four by four. They say seven by seven tefachim, enough to hold your body 
and, and your table or not your table. Um, so that seems like it is, it follows the B. But we don't want the Brayta to follow only the B, a minority opinion, and not everybody else. Uh, so we say, we answer, you know what? I can even reconcile the Brayta that we just read with Rabanan, who say a sukkah can be smaller. And here's how they would reason. So even the rabbis would say that I, we only think that it's a, a small amount, seven by seven, enough to fit your body and your table over there regarding sukkah because sukkah is defined as a temporary dwelling. So a temporary dwelling, when you go out in a tent, you don't say, oh, I have to have a big tent. Even a small tent is called a temporary dwelling. But regarding all of these laws that require it to be a home, which is a permanent dwelling, there even a banan would agree that it has to be four by four. People live in a four by four area. No one lives in something less than four by four amot. Okay, so this is super interesting because you see how this depends on what we learned yesterday. The opinion of the third opinion of Rava yesterday was that it can't be higher than 20 amot because that would be dirat keva. To make something so tall, you're going to have to make sturdy walls and you have to build it in a permanent way. Also looks like a, looks like a palace. And so the definition of dirat keva of dirat aray is the other opinion say, dirat aray just means that you're living there for a short time, for seven days, but it's nothing to do with the structure. Rava gave us this beautiful chidush that conceptually the structure has to look like a temporary dwelling. And so this is now another application of his conception, even though we don't quote it in the name of Rava, but we're using him as the answer uh, that Rabbanan say, a sukkah can be less than four by four because it's a temporary dwelling. All other halachot throughout the Torah require a residence that's a permanent residence, and that's why it requires four by four. So really that... But uh, got... According to Rava, right, where you said it has to be temporary, would that mean, according to this opinion here, that if it's larger than four by four, it would, it would be permanent by default, or...? Uh, no, because uh, you could still be temporary and be more than four by four, but it just said that it can be less. Uh, and still be called a residence, right? Um, similar to the way, you know, it doesn't have to be made out of steel walls, but it can be, he doesn't, he doesn't mind. So it, 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 it applies only to some aspects of the building process. Okay, that's a good point. Now, Amar Mor, now that we uh, uh, understand the Braita according to both, we're gonna go back and analyze each section of that Braita and explain the reasons. There's actually different subcategories within this Braita. Um, that's a key word that always says, right, you're the master said, I'm quoting something that we just said, but I'm quoting it in part. Um, that's the opposite of gufa. Gufa means you just quoted a part of the source. Now I'm going to bring the entire thing and reanalyze it. Amar is you quote, you quoted the whole source. Now I'm going to quote only part of it. Okay, so here's part of it. So it has to be four by four in order to require mezuzah and a fence and to be become tameh with mold and uh, to be uh, resold uh, after a year um, and uh, regarding if someone coming back for more, if he just built it. For all those halachot, has to be at least four by four. My tama, what's the source? Look at each one of these pesukim in the Torah 
and for each one of them it says a bait, right? Someone who built a bait. Okay, for homework, you can go look up all the pesukim, right? And so that the word house means is defined as something that is four by four amot. So that makes sense for all of those. These are all deoraita laws. But now we're going to bring a second category within that paraita. Okay, the laws of Eruv and Mavoy, those are the Rabbanan. So the Pasuk doesn't say anything about them. So it doesn't say the word bait. So why, why should it have to be four by four? Because those are not fit for residence. Hold on. So not fit for residence. And the whole law of Eruv Chaserot and Shituf Mevoot is all about since you reside there, you have to uh, contribute. Uh, so it's Terabanan, but it still requires the definition of residing there. Okay, now we say the point that I, 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 I mentioned before, that Eruv Chatserot, when you're joining homes within a courtyard, you're not allowed to take that joint meal and put it in this little tent, because it doesn't, it's not a house, it doesn't join in, and so it can't be, it can't be the location. The idea of joining in is that we're all, it's like we're all living in your house, in one house. Right, but this is not a house. It's not a residence, so it's no good. But if you're joining courtyards, so courtyards are not a house; they're just a courtyard. In order to be called a courtyard, it has to have at least one house in it. Yes, but um, if it also has another house in it and this little this little tent, and you want to take all the courtyard's food and put it in the little tent, that's fine because truth is, you could put it outside in the middle of the field. So uh, here, that's what we explain. My tama, the lagara mechaser shemavavoy. It's not any worse than just a courtyard in the alleyway. Um, so it just happens to, happens to be in a little section, uh, in a little tent in the courtyard. It's not worse than putting it outdoors in the courtyard. Ditnan, and we prove this from a mishnah or baraita in the eruvin. Eruve chaserot bechaser shitufim mavoy ba mavoy. Eruv chaserot in joining houses, you put it in one of the courtyards, really has to be in one of the houses. We're going to ask about that in a second. Um, she, when you're joining courtyards in the alleyway, you put it somewhere in the alleyway. And that doesn't have to be in one of the homes. We analyzed that and we said, hold on, when you're joining homes in the courtyard, can you put it anywhere in the courtyard? But the Mishnah says, if someone is joining courtyards and you put it in a gatehouse or portico, these are all structures that one does not live in, um, right? A portico, maybe you, you park your car under it, but right, you don't actually live there. It's just, uh, or balcony, uh, you know, you go there, but you don't live it. So they're not, you can't put the Yeruv there. And someone who lives there does not have to join up either because he's not, even if he happens to be a strange person and he, he sleeps on a balcony, uh, or in a portico with a, or an open area that just is only roofed but has no walls, right? That's not considered a place where people normally live. And so therefore it has nothing to do with the Eruv. So what we see from here is that you cannot put, um, that you cannot put the Eruv in an open area. So, so we're going to reread the Braita before, and it says, uh, uh, when you're joining homes in a courtyard, you have to put it in one of the houses in the courtyard and not just out in the field. Whereas when you're joining together 
many courtyards, you can put it in, in any of the courtyards of the alleyway, even outdoors. And Behai, this little structure that's less than four by four, La Gara is not any worse than putting it out in the courtyard. Uh, so that we, we, we conclude, yes, indeed, you can put the Shituf Mevaot in a little structure. Um, and uh, lastly, Ben Osino Ta'ibur Ben Shete Ayarot. You cannot make um, this uh, use a small structure, less than before by four, to join together two cities and be able to carry from one to the other uh, as a bridge between them. You know what? It's even worse than a burganin. A burganin is a, a small watchtower. This one in this picture actually looks quite big. <laughs> right. But, we're, but imagine one that would be smaller. Let's see what pictures we have. No. Um, okay. But imagine one that would be just like a small watchtower. Um, that could work. Uh, where are we? Um, here. Right, and uh, it's not, it's, it's even worse than the Burganin. My Tama, why is it worse than a watchtower? Burganin, because a watchtower, at least it's useful for what it's made for. It's made as a watchtower. And so even if it's small, it's still used as a watchtower. So it fulfills its usage. Whereas when you make a little house that's less than four by four, you mean it to be a residence, but it's not useful as a residence because it's smaller than is uh, possible to use and therefore it does not count. A burganin, a watchtower can bridge between two cities, but not a small house. Good. And the last item is When you have a shared property and it's less than four by four, so you can't split it. One partner cannot force the other to split it because it's less than four by four. So we can derive from this, if it does have four, four by four or more, then you can force the other to split it. Is that true? This, this Mishnah says that you can only divide a, uh, a structure if it's at least four by eight. So that I can have four by four and you can have four by four, right? That makes sense. Even if it's five by five, it's not going to be big enough. Eight by eight. Eight by eight. That's four. That you can get four four by fours, okay. right? Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, doubling the uh, the square the square um, uh, the square uh, footprint. Um, so it has to be four by eight. So really, this doesn't make sense. That four by four is the minimum. Four by eight should be the minimum. So how are we going to explain that this What we mean is that it does not, the whole um, uh, law of how we uh, divide a courtyard does not apply to it. Now we're going to learn an interesting law about how to divide a courtyard. Um, some, I have a home, let's say, you know, there's multiple homes in a courtyard and the the, unlike today, where you know there's a, there are, uh, you could do a survey and see exactly where your property line ends. Um, in this case, they don't know where their property line ends, but they know that they're all in a courtyard together. So, which part of the courtyard is mine and which part is yours? Well, it depends on how much usage you need from it. Ravuna says, depends on how many doors you have, how many entrances do you own. You get, uh, you get the amount of the courtyard in proportion to the number of doors. Rav Chista says, no, um, every door you have gets four, um, four by four, so that you have an opening. When you open the door, you can have a little area. 
And then the rest we divide equally according to the number of people. Uh, I, uh, if I, the pictures are, uh, will be helpful here. Um, so let's say here you have one person owns even a big house, but only has one door. The other person, let's say they own three houses, but they're small houses, but they have three doors, right? And so what you do is you just count by count the doors. This, you only have one door and, and there's four, there's four all together. You only have one, you get a quarter of the courtyard. And this one, you have three, you get three quarters of the courtyard. Okay, so the idea is that, I don't know, every door um, needs its own space and gets that proportion. Uh, that's Rav Huna's opinion. Rav Chista says, no, that's not quite fair. Um, rather, this guy, if every door gets four amot, so exclude the four amot, this, uh, this one, that, from the total, and the rest of it, you divide half. You're one person, I'm one person. I happen to own three, but so what, right? Uh, we're just two people, so we divide the rest equally. Okay, that's Rav Chista. Fine. Either way, the point is there's a whole calculation that goes into uh, deciding how, how you divide it. And this calculation depends on a door, but the door has to be of a structure that is four by four. If the structure is less than four by four, I don't care how many doors it has, it's not going to count for this calculation. All this calculation only applies to a house that is going to endure a permanent house. So that house needs some access to the courtyard. So depending on how you calculate it for a mot or a proportion of the courtyard. But this little shack that's less than four by four, which what, what good is it? It's only good to be leveled, right? It's not a permanent structure. Therefore, we, it does not deserve any part of the courtyard on its own. And so that explains the, the end of the, of the Baraita. Uh, so this was very interesting uh, uh, piece. To summarize, we learned about the smallest width-wise sukkah, which halakha which is going to be uh, your, uh, your body and, and a table, has to include a table. Um, but while we were on that topic, we talked about the size of a home and a residence for lots of other halachot. And according to the B, it could be the same thing because they're all four by four. According to the Banan, we use that, that uh, definition of Rava that is a temporary structure, the sukkah is a temporary structure, so that could be different from the standard definition um, all around. I think what you see here is that even though the Gemara is, is looking at really technicalities, wait, how come Mecca 20 Amot? But through the technicalities, we come to a definition of conceptually, what is the sukkah all about? Is it a place that requires shade like we saw before? Is it a reminder that you have to know your Nitzchach and remember the past? It is a, a temporary structure. Um, so these, 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 these seemingly minor details actually encode within them fundamental ideas about the very concept of what a sukkah is all about. Baruch Adonai Lolam, Amen v'Amen.